Well, hello again. Greetings and grace and love to you all. This morning I want to pick up part two of this little series we've called A Word in Season during this season. I want to continue to pull from Colossians and some other places. Last Sunday we considered the duplex gratia, Christ for pardon and Christ for power. And how both of those graces, those double graces, which is what duplex gratia means, you recall, both of those graces do not come to us in a vacuum, we considered. The fact that they don't come from out of nowhere. We saw that Christ for our pardon, which is that saving grace for our justification, we saw that that grace comes to us from Christ's work in earning and purchasing for us Saving grace. And we saw that Christ for power, which is that sustaining and stabilizing grace for life, our sanctification, comes to us, not out of nowhere either, but comes to us through the means of grace. In the fullest expression, the corporate means of grace, which are not available, not administered on a day such as this to the fullest extent. Now, Christ for pardon, that's a done deal. Nothing else can be done, for Christ has done it all. When it comes to our justification, our salvation is secure. We rejoice in that. We praise God for that. When it comes to Christ for power, that too is a done deal. That too is a done deal. Nothing can take that away from us either. Christ will work out His life in and through us all the way to our eternal home in the new heavens and the new earth. And as this earth goes down the path that it does, how sweet the new earth and the new heavens becomes more and more. Christ will work His life in and through us Paul wrote of this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Let me read that for you. He wrote, familiar verse, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. The corporate means of grace are the fullest expression of how God brings to completion his work in us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 7 and 8 says, You are not lacking in any spiritual gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who will sustain you to the end, it says. The corporate means of grace are the fullest expression of how God sustains and brings us to completion. It's His work in us. The child of God will afford themselves, having been moved in heart by the Spirit of God, of both the private and the public means of grace. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 says, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Because God is working in us, the child of God will afford themselves, as we're moved by God, of both the private and the public means of grace. You know, God is the primary agent in our Christ for power. That is, God is the ultimate cause of the sustaining and stabilizing grace in our lives. And to accomplish His good pleasure and His will in us, He ordains the means. And they include private means, but the fullest sense and the language of the New Testament, those instruments to sustain us and stabilize us are the corporate means of grace. You know those, the Lord's table, baptism, fellowship, 
prayer and the preaching of the word of God. And so why not gathering hurts, both the soul and the mind of the believer, is the same reason a fish out of water perishes. For a fish, the river or the stream or whatever it is, the body of water, for the fish, that is the very supply chain of oxygen and nutrients and direction and purpose and community. Well, the exact is same as for the Christian. The local church is the local stream, the stream rather. On the Lord's Day, the Lord's Day is the supply chain. It's the supply chain of Christ and His benefits to us. You know, the elders made the decision this week to not include live recordings of music. Not because we don't like music. Not because we're some kind of grumpy old men and want to be music grinches. But no, instead, so that there might be a greater sense of loss and a greater longing in all of our hearts to experience that supply chain of Christ for power in the corporate means of grace. We didn't want to manufacture that. We do not and we will not manufacture a virtual assembly. It's the same reason we don't facilitate a virtual communion. I mean, what does that even mean anyway, virtual communion? It's a contradiction of terms. The Apostle Paul, again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when he spoke of the Lord's table, he uses four or five rapid-fire commands when you, the church, plural, come together, when you come together, church, eat and drink. The assembly of the saints is the plan and purpose of God for His people, for it is in that assembly God provides us, as I've said time and time again, with the fullest and most necessary infusions of stabilizing and sustaining grace that we need, Christ for power. And so think of it like this, all those pardoned by Christ gather in physical proximity that they might, might harness more of the power of Christ. Why? To display the worth of Christ to the world. And so last Sunday, we made much of all of that. And we began to consider the necessity of setting our mind on heavenly things. Heavenly things. And I want to front load the message this morning by giving you the main point right now. Here it is. The more we apprehend and appropriate the heavenly things we have from our union with Christ, the clearer we will see what is occurring down here on earth and then be able to properly navigate the world's anti-God system and ideology without being overwhelmed. And so let's go on a bit of a journey together and kind of place that all together. Our home base will be Colossians again. And so turn with me there if you haven't already in your Bibles. And we'll begin, we'll, we will begin in Colossians chapter 1 and work our way through. Colossians is obviously penned by the Apostle Paul and he writes to them, from a pastor's concern and a pastor's heart. But in the most technical sense, Paul was not the pastor of the church. A man called Epaphras was. He's mentioned in verse 7 of chapter 1 there. Look there. Just as you learned from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. Flick ahead to chapter 4 of Colossians and look at verse 12. Colossians 4 verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings. 
always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers that you might stand perfect and, look at this, fully assured in all the will of God. Epaphras sends you his greetings, Paul wrote. But he's the pastor of the church. He's there in Colossae. Well, he's not actually. This letter from Paul to the church at Colossae was written at a time when Epaphras had gone to Rome to tell Paul about the dangerous teachings and the dangerous ideologies that had either began to infect the mind or were by Pastor Epaphras soon, very soon to be so, doing so. No one knows for sure if this Colossian heresy, this dangerous ideology, as it's called, arrived and then the letter was penned, or if it was on the way and the letter is a warning. I tend to think that the letter is a warning, but either way, danger was imminent. And to be forewarned is to be forearmed, and so Epaphras is with Paul, and The apostle, upon hearing what Epaphras is saying going on in Colossae, writes to the flock. And theologians refer to Colossians, rightly so, as a preventative letter. A preventative letter. It was important for them to receive such a word. It was a word in season. It was a word in season. It was timely. It was pertinent. And it was pressing. Colossae was a bustling city at the time. And Colossae was a somewhat unique blend of Jews and a bunch of other ethnicities. And as a result, part of the dangerous teaching and the dangerous philosophy and ideology was coming from the paganism of the Gentile nations. That's why Paul writes what he does in verse 8 of chapter 2 that we looked at last week. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. That very thing, that forms the basis of what Paul says in verse 23 of chapter 1. Look there. Paul says, If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, look at this, not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Not moved away from the hope of the gospel. You see, in times of danger, whether through false teaching creeping in or deceptive ideology, ideologies of the world creeping in or times of trial pressing in. If we're not careful, we can be moved away from hope. Moved away from the hope of the gospel. And turn with me to Romans chapter 1 for a moment. Romans chapter 1. And look at verse 15 when you get there. Romans chapter 1 verse 15. This is Paul now writing to the church in Rome. And he says in verse 15, So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. You notice that? Paul is eager to preach the gospel... To believers. To believers. Now this is where the very concept of the gospel has two important aspects. In one regard, the gospel is the message of calling the lost to faith in Christ. But here, Paul is not talking about calling the lost to faith. He's writing to believers. He's talking about the preaching of the gospel to believers. It would be the height of absurdity and severe pastoral malpractice to preach the gospel in that sense 
to believers. I mean, think about that. Hey, Joe, you're a sinner who is guilty in the sight of God. You must trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And if Joe is a believer, he's going to look sideways at the pastor or the Christian and say, you're correct, I am a sinner, but by God's grace, I'm simultaneously a saint. For the saving grace of God has already saved me. My sins are forgiven. And so there has to be another aspect to the gospel. An aspect of the gospel for believers. You recall, I'm certain, the purpose of the gospel of John. To believe. And then, then in believing have life in his name. It's the gospel message that saves us. And it's the gospel message that sustains us. Two aspects of the gospel. One is a call to saving faith. To receive Christ for pardon. The other aspect of the gospel is for the believer. Christ for power. Life in His name. As we behold His glory. And apprehend and appropriate the heavenly things gifted to us by God the Father through Christ the Son. And so to avoid the noise and the taste and the smell of the world's ideologies, God in His love and wisdom gave the church at Colossae a letter. And while God is a God who blesses His people, His church, with that same letter today. Colossians is very relevant to us today. In fact, for us in the West, our pervading ideology is one of social justice neo-Marxism, which makes itself evident in all the division that's occurring today in the West. And just a little word on that, that dominant worldview in the West, it controls not by unity, but by division. And its tools are tools of division. Critical race theory, intersectionality, are in the education system, dividing the culture. And so this neo-Marxist worldview controls by division as those who stand steadfast against it are maligned and targeted in society. And the folk who acquiesce to this ideology only grow more resolute and a new form of tyranny is established. Old school tyranny was boots and train carriages and starvation. This new form of tyranny is performed by big tech, big tech companies who are not even elected by the people and biomedical health mandates. We're witnessing this very thing around the world. And if that is all that you see, if, if that is all that you're setting your mind on, then all that will certainly result for you is a loss of joy and a moving away from hope. The hope of the gospel. Not the gospel in the sense of trust Christ and be forgiven. No, dear child of God, that has already happened for you. Rather, the gospel in the sense that you have received Christ for pardon already. And now you must apprehend and appropriate what Christ for power actually means. So as to be not dragged down into a loss of joy a loss of finding satisfaction in Christ and a loss of hope in Romans chapter 1 verse 15 that we just read Paul said he was desirous of preaching the gospel to believers the, the book of Romans that Andrew just recently finished is a systematic theology on all that we possess in Christ the book of Colossians, which you can turn back to now, is 
a carefully woven thread of all that we possess in Christ. In fact, the entire Bible, God's revelation, God's expression of His love to us, tells us, His children, His church, all that we possess in Christ. And with that, I want us to consider what it means to be in Christ. Look at Colossians chapter 3. We'll spend the remainder of our morning here. And so let's read verse 1 through to verse 17 and just allow God to speak to us this morning. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom and teaching, admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. So rich. So timely. A word in season. Contained within these verses is both twofold. The truth that ensures full appropriation of Christ for power. That Paul himself spoke of in verse 29 of chapter 1 you recall. Look there. For this reason also I labor and strive according to his power which mightily works within me. And also, contained within those 17 verses of chapter 3 that we just read, is the complete commandeering of gospel truth for the believer so that we do not move away from hope, but remain steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that His power works mightily within me. As our world grows more and more divided and things play out in the world around us, consistent with its own ideology that literally just eats itself from the inside, neo-Marxism, whether in Colossae with what they were facing or in 21st century West, we need to maintain our hope. Maintain our hope by finding joy in the gospel, and apprehending more of our beautiful Savior. You see, 
Christ for pardon and Christ for power comes to us from our union with Christ. Our union with Christ. And so it's important that we consider that together at such a time as this. In a season such as this. Union with Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he's what? A new creation. The letter to the church at Philippi that Paul wrote begins by saying in its opening verse with the words, To all the saints in Christ Jesus. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's just a few verses that say we are in Christ. Then there's a host of other verses that say Christ is in us. Look at verse 27 of Colossians 1. Verse 27 of Colossians 1. To whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, a favorite verse for many believer. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Romans chapter 8 verse 10 says, Christ is in you. And then there are several verses that say both. In John chapter 15 verse 4, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his Spirit, 1 John. Now, what does it mean to be in Christ, though? Well, simply put, being in Christ means to receive all of Christ and all of His benefits. And so Christ for pardon and Christ for power are the results of, of our union with Christ. It's important to note that our union with Christ is not like the other parts of the order of salvation. The order of salvation is just to say the logical way to describe the sequence of events in our salvation it begins with election before the foundation of the world, before time. Then regeneration, we're made alive. Then faith and repentance. Justification or Christ for pardon. Sanctification or Christ for power. Perseverance. And then glorification. Union with Christ is not one that just slots in on the timeline of those events. Union with Christ is different. Union with Christ permeates all of them. You see, our union with Christ has two aspects. It has a covenant union aspect and a faith union aspect. A covenant union and a faith union. Covenant union means that for the believer... We've always been in union with Christ, the eternal Son. In fact, theologians rightly describe union with Christ as that which extends from eternity to eternity. You know, when Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4 says, For He chose us in Him, God the Father chose us in the Son, before the foundation of the world. To be holy and blameless in His presence. In love, He, the Father, predestined us for adoption as His sons through Jesus Christ. That's the very 
foundation of our union. Our union with Christ began in eternity past when God the Father made a covenant with God the Son and we're included in that covenant. We were given by the Father to the Son and the Son lived and died for us. And then upon the cross where Jesus atoned for our sin, not taking just some vague type of savability to the cross, should someone believe or not, as though the atonement is effective, contingent on if someone believes or not. No, Jesus actually atoned for our sins. Jesus upon the cross established the very basis for our union with him upon the cross. Because remember, upon the cross is where Christ purchased for us all the spiritual blessings and all the saving benefits and all the new covenant promises for us. And so that is the covenant union. But then in time, when God by His Spirit comes and applies to us in regeneration, pouring into us that living water, Christ applies to us, God rather, by the Spirit, applies to us the riches of Christ's atonement. And that is when we come into the actual possession of union with Christ. Meaning that when God makes us alive and we then receive the gift of faith, praise God that faith, saving faith is a gift, when we then believe, we are then placed into actual union with the risen Christ. And His benefits then of sanctification and perseverance and glorification are then worked in us as they come to us through Christ for power. This is what God works in us for His good pleasure and for His glory. Sinclair Ferguson sums this all up very well when he says, quote, If we are united to Christ, then we are united to Him at all points of His activity on our behalf. We share in His death. We were baptized into His death. We share in His resurrection. We are resurrected with Christ. We share in His ascension. We have been raised with Him. We've been raised with Him. That is what the first part of verse 1 of Colossians 3 says. Look there. Therefore, since you have been raised up with Christ. That's what it speaks to. If we've been raised with Christ, it means that we died and were buried with Christ, and if we died, that is, our old nature was crucified, then it's not we who live, but it's Christ who lives in us. And because Christ lives in us, look at verse 3. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. Astounding truth. While we are here on earth, we're not yet glorified. That's still to come. But having been justified, Christ for pardon, we are now persevering. And understand this, that perseverance is not rooted in what we do, but in what God has done in Jesus Christ. And when we understand this truth, that our perseverance is not rooted in what we do, but in what God has done in Jesus Christ, it ignites greater manifestation 
of Christ for power in us and motivates greater holiness and moves us to greater sanctification. Because when you are drawing down into your life the saving benefits of Christ into your mind and the spiritual blessings of Christ into your mind, perhaps taking a walk on the beach and being overwhelmed by all that's going on and saying, I'm a child of God. I am redeemed. I have an eternal home that awaits me. I live not lonely in this world, but surrounded by by brothers and sisters from all corners of the globe and all corners of my community and all corners of my church. When we fill our minds with the saving benefits of Christ, that everything that I just spoke of then comes because God the Father loves the Son. And I get to share in that love between the Father and the Son. I have every reason to continually be finding peace and a deep abiding joy even in the midst of a world with a crooked and perverse ideology that is dividing and splintering all around us. When we're drawing down into our life that kind of thing in our minds, we then begin to live in light of who we truly are. One who is apprehending and appropriating. Middle of verse 4. Look there. Christ who is our life. When we're downloading into our mind the spiritual blessings, the saving benefits... That we possess in Christ. We are truly then apprehending. Christ. Who is our life. I can see the depths of those words. Christ. Who is our life. But I cannot see the bottom of it. Such is its enormity. Our life. Is hidden. With Christ. In God. Meaning. That we are safe and secure, awaiting our glorification. And meaning that the world cannot understand our life. What we think, what we do, what we hold fast to, the hope that we have, the abiding joy we possess, the peace that we exhibit, Christ who is our Life, our careers are not our life. For Christ might call us to lose those in faithfulness to him. Our sporting teams are not our life. For they are at the end of the day mere amusement. Our reputation with the world is not our life. For we can't find our lives stability and satisfaction in being thought of well. When we're united to and share in the sufferings of the one who was hated by the world. Our endless pursuit of being safe is not our life. For we live in a world that has always been and always will be full of the ramifications of the fall, sin, sickness and virus. Our life is hidden from the world in union with Christ who, by His death and resurrection, places us into covenant love with the Father, who is the God of the entire universe. And no matter how crazy things get here, and they're getting pretty crazy, and no matter how hard things get for the Christian, who is the only group in the crosshairs of the rulers and nations, Psalm 2, And no matter how hard this neo-Marxist 
revolution that we truly are in the midst of that has as its tools not only critical race theory and intersectionality, but also biomedical tyranny, which has now commenced segregating people into the vaccinated and the unvaccinated, freedom for some and not for others, gets. No matter how crazy things on planet Earth get, there is one truth that we can hold dear, that we can hold dear here in this neo-Marxist given over generation Western world we live in, or that our brothers and sisters in their homes in Afghanistan, who are literally this moment waiting for the footsteps of the Taliban soldiers, who are according to an email that I received yesterday from Dr. Tatlock of TMAI, who have contacts in the area, are waiting in their homes literally this very moment, knowing that it is certain that they are going to die today or tomorrow. They can and we can know... Look at verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. You see, because we are in union with Christ, our life is hidden with Christ, and we not only share in His death and resurrection, verse 4 tells us that we share in His return. His return. Come, Lord Jesus. When Christ, who is our life, not our careers, not our reputations, not our safety, but when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you, plural, the church, will also be revealed with Him in glory. And Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 19, Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You also will live. You see, Christ is returning. And whether we live or die, when that occurs, we will be with him. And just as He is glorified, so too will we. Some of you brothers and sisters have constant pain in your bodies. Some of you have sickness in your body. Some of you have emotional pain and hurt in your heart and mind. Many of us are anxious about what is happening in the world. All of us experience suffering in this life. We are united to not only Christ, the beautiful Savior, we are united to Christ, the benevolent sufferer. Christ is our life. He said in John chapter 16, verse 33, in this world, you will have trouble. But take courage. I've overcome the world. We are united to one who has overcome death and this world. And our life is hidden with him in God. The world doesn't understand it. We can never expect them to understand it. We don't seek our life and joy and stability and satisfaction from our safety, our careers, our sports teams, our reputations. We find all the safety that we need to possess in an ever hostile world in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Look down at verse 15 again. At Colossians 3. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Sometimes. There's other things that rule in our hearts. When we're downloading the heavenly things, the peace of Christ can rule and does rule in our hearts. Look at this. Verse 15 continues on. To which indeed you were called in one body, the church, the corporate assembly of the saints in physical proximity to each other. And be thankful. 
and be thankful. How do you do that? Verse 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. With all wisdom is the result. Teaching is the result. Admonishing is the result. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. When one body assembles and sings, it is a mighty infusion of Christ for power. The Valley of Vision, Book of Prayers, contains this one. Let me read it to you. Let me find thy light in my darkness, thy life in my death, thy joy in my sorrow, thy grace in my sin, thy riches in my poverty. Thy glory in my valley. Kevin DeYoung recently said, quote, In our internet age, it is easy to be overwhelmed with burdens that only God is meant to carry. End quote. I think we need Less internet age, less mainstream media, and more of the word of Christ. For when we draw and download what God wants us to draw down and download from, Christ who is our life. Or if you have an ESV, it will say your life. The our or the your is the same. He's the life of the church. He's the life of the body. He is our life. We have Christ for pardon. We rest in all of life for that. We have Christ for power. And we run through life drawing on that. And we do that not by living isolated, safe lives as individuals. But we do that as His body here on earth. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. It's lived in union with the risen and returning Savior and in the communion of the saints. The time is now. I said at the very beginning that I wanted to give you the main idea of the message this morning up front, which was the more we apprehend and the more we appropriate the heavenly things we have from our union with Christ, the clearer we see what is occurring down here on earth and we're able to properly navigate the world's anti-God system without being overwhelmed. Well, my dear brothers and sisters, in light of the truths that we've considered, we can, by grace, by Christ for power, move from setting our minds not upon the things on this earth, but upon the blessings we have from our union with Christ and set our minds upon the one whom we are in union with. And in doing that, we will not be overwhelmed by this world, but we will live in this world as we ought. As the only people who that while we live here on earth are from heaven. Raised with Christ who is in heaven. And so let us press on in his power that mightily works within us. And live unafraid. Not moved away from hope. As the body of Christ here on earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father we come before you and we thank you for. This time. Lord we pray Father that you would take the word. Which can never be locked down. That always goes forth. That always accomplishes your purpose. We pray Father that you would take this word. And plant it deep into our hearts. 
Lord, Colossians is a preventative letter. May this be a preventative message. A word in season. Would you add your blessing to the preaching of your word this morning? Be with the families. Be with the people. Be with us as a church. Be with those overseas facing heartache and loss from Be with us, we pray. Lord, forgive us for where we have set our minds on things that draw us away from hope, hope of the gospel. Help us to live in light of the fact that we have died and our life is hidden with Christ. Help us to grasp the enormity of Christ who is our life. And therefore help us to then, in light of all of that, put aside anger and wrath and slander and malice and abusive speech and lying and impurity and immorality and greed and passion and evil desires. and Help us to live in light of the hope that we have and in light of who we truly are. We thank you for this in Christ's name. Amen.